0: Throw this down for a catch. Uh, I don't have
1: a quarrel with you, teacher, but we've been doing this all night.
0: Nothing. Welcome to the Brewery Ministries podcast. This is The Chosen retrospective series, hosted by Nathan.
1: Will you do us the honor, Rabbi? Mm, if that's where you keep
0: the white sardines. Jason. Teacher. You have moved us all. John. Looks like we're not the only ones taxing the people. And Nick. It's the biggest pile of dung in all (laughs) Capernaum. This episode will contain spoilers. We recommend watching the episode before listening to the podcast.
2: I'm on official business.
0: Only Roman business
2: is official business.
0: Today we are discussing The Chosen, Season 2, Episode 7. This is Nathan. This is Jason. John. Luke. We're four guys with different views. Purpose of this show isn't so much theological accuracy as it is just open discussion. And we encourage people to investigate the things that we talk about from this show. We always start off with an icebreaker because this is a Brewery Ministries podcast. What we like to do is talk about what drink or beverage we brought to the table
3: for our discussion today. So uh, let's start with Jason. What you got? I took what you had last week, that um, Cinnamon Dulce from Firestone. You were like the fourth person who said something since last week. And so I said, heck, I'm going to go try it out. So it's not that bad. Really? Yeah. Awesome. He didn't
2: say it was good. He said it's not that
0: bad. What was your first impression of it? And then
3: once you got into it, what did you think? The very first, when it first hits your mouth, I thought, wow, that's kind of strong. But then it kind of falls into like a cinnamon and kind of tapers off. And so it's got a good aftertaste to it as well. But that first, as soon as it hits your mouth is, woo! And this one does taste a little bit better. I, well, it is a stout at room temperature. So I left a couple of cans out on the counter. And so me you could taste the cinnamon a little bit more instead of just pulling it right out of the fridge. What about you, John? What you got? Oh, just coffee. No, I'm kidding.
1: Uh, I actually have a beer for the first time this season. It's nothing that exciting it's the same thing I had in season one, <laughs> so I still had a couple left over. But it's uh, Rhinegeist sunspun shandy. It actually is grapefruit and orange juice in it. It's pretty crisp and kind of refreshing.
3: That's a new brand for me. No scotch?
1: No, not not yet. And maybe after I get
3: all this work stuff taken care of. <laughs> in last season, the first couple of seats, he had some scotch. I'm like, what?
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> all right, Nick, you're up. It's water.
2: I, uh, recovering from the flu, and during my evacuation process of the flu, I tore up my throat, so carbonated things are not exciting right now. Ah, man, sorry
0: to hear that. It's all good, but yes. Well, speedy recovery, man. I have the same thing I had last week that I wasn't drinking because I had to go (laughs) to work, but when I went to the fridge, yeah, I matched Jason today. Cinnamon Dolce Nitro Stout by Firestone Walker. I noticed this beer at the top says beer before glory. Interesting motto. <laughs> I went to the fridge and I almost pulled out a left hand peanut butter stout. But yeah, I just really liked this beer. So I picked it up anyways. And it really is like eating a tablespoon or teaspoon of nutmeg on the first sip. But <laughs> after that, it's awesome. <laughs> So I did a little bit of reading on, uh, you know, we keep talking about Mary Magdalene's reputation, right? Yep. That keeps coming up. And I remember in first episode, we tried to do a deep dive on her background. I remember the only thing scripture really says for certain about her is that she was possessed by demons. Well. I know that her reputation is a prostitute. That turned out to be something that was an invention in the 600s, right? Or it seems to have not been present in her history until 600 years after her life, which is suspicious. But we did think that she was known as an adulteress, right? Well, when I was reading this week, I realized I don't think the Bible actually says that she is an adulteress. I think that chapter where there's an unnamed adulterous woman, some people have the theory that that's her, but... Now, after reading again, she might not even be an adulteress at all. Wow. She might have just been a
3: possessed woman that Jesus healed. That makes it even more interesting, doesn't it? Just just kinda like demeaning her, you know, first she's an adulteress and then she's a prostitute. They keep and come to find out it's not definitive that she was either one of those. So it makes me wonder why they kinda started with that. But I can kind of see where some religious people think that she was actually just as important as the disciples. And so how do you demean someone that's doing that to her. So I would say that's probably the intention of the early Christians. Like you said, around 600 or so.
0: She's considered a disciple, right? Boy, aren't the disciples that are named only men? Yeah. Yeah. I think that she is, technically. And she financially funded Jesus' mission. She's one of a few people who financially funded that. And I think she's responsible for taking the Gospels to some of the other countries. I don't know if it's European countries. I was trying to read before today to confirm exactly where, but I ran out of time. Does anybody happen to know?
3: No, but I know there's a lot of even if you look at that painting, particularly the ones that were painted in Europe, like the Last Supper, they feel that the person sitting next to her was actually her, not, they say they think it was John, because John might have been smaller male. And they actually think it was actually her, not John, that was there. Was it Italy that she came up on, or one of those areas?
0: Yeah, it was something in that area. Somewhere in the Mediterranean. But I'm just floored, because, I mean, she seems, like, almost as important as Paul, and what he did. Like, she almost did the same thing that he did. She took the gospel around all these different Countries and one nobody knows that, and two everybody
3: just thinks that she was an adulteress <laughs> or a prostitute. You know what's interesting is that sh- that show the Vinci Code. I mean, if you believe in that stuff or not, you know, it's they're the premises that she's the Holy Grail. But they use a lot of these like historical things, like like you said, she ended up in Europe, but she did this, and they kind of filled in the gray areas with their own fictional stuff. But it does take a lot of things out of the Bible, and a lot of these kind of at least the root parts of the story are kind of based on that.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. She's Jesus' sugar mama if she's financing.
3: (laughs) Yeah, Da Vinci Code proposes
0: that she might have been Jesus's wife. But Da Vinci Code claims at the beginning that uh, the vote on Jesus's divinity barely won, right? Like it was like 51 to 49% or something. That's actually not true. The numbers are like, there's like 4% or less actually voted against Jesus's divinity. I found three copies of the numbers, and they don't all agree, but they're all kind of close. So I I don't know what to think of that preface at the beginning
3: of Da Vinci Code. It's interesting. I've seen this show on a history channel one time. It was a camera. It's been a while back. Ancient aliens? (laughs) There it is. There it is. (laughs) and so it was about Mary Magdalene and it was a bunch of religious scholars, they even had some catholic scholars and the question that came up was was that Jesus's wife most of them said there's no proof that that was his wife they said but if he had a wife it would probably have been her and so that was their kind of their answer
2: why is it such a big deal if even if she was Hmm. I guess it would
0: mess up people's perceptions of Jesus, I guess.
2: Well, it's let's, let's take what you just said though. So, going off what you just said, she's not an adulteress, she's not a prostitute. She was just possessed. So, Jesus married her. That's not a bad thing. I guess you could think about if that even if that were true,
3: would that really change anything about who he was or what he did? Uh, the little that I know, I, I don't think so. My well, thought it would be it would it would humanize him more like it He has needs and stuff like like every other man. But a lot of the things they do is to humanize him. I mean, he felt pain and stuff and was scared to be on the cross. That's actually a good question.
1: I mean, I could see where, at Jason's point, in terms of him having needs and desires and, and wanting to be in a relationship with someone, being able to deny that shows more strength in some ways. I don't know. It's weird. Weird to think about.
3: <laughs> you yeah. think maybe they don't want that connection because it's not anything to do with him. It's still to delegitimize her. It could be. I
0: would think that they would have kids somewhere if he had been married. I
3: mean, they didn't have birth control. That's some Da Vinci Code stuff there. Hmm? That's the premise of the Da Vinci Code. I mean, that really the, the bloodline. I've got a cryptex back here, so...
0: (laughs) Is that there's a half-god lineage running around somewhere?
2: I'm I'm telling you, there is absolutely a way. If historically all of these people existed someone out there has the blood of Christ because his cousins and his aunts and uncles those people didn't just all suddenly die whether it's direct or indirect there is a bloodline out there
3: you'd have to establish the bloodline though that'd be the problem well yeah you'd have to find a known descendant
2: hell we can't even find a known truth gospel that we all believe reads the same okay so if Jesus's father is God
0: but his siblings father is Joseph then he'd be the only one with the divine blood right so
2: but he's got his mom's blood in him Mm -hmm. and his mom would have sisters or brothers and if those people have kids it's still the same blood because those sisters and brothers of Jesus' mom came from the same parents right oh I see so It's his bloodline, but it's not like the
0: bloodline
3: of God, right? The divine, yeah. Right. Okay, yeah. That'd be his mitochondrial DNA, I think it's your mom. Yes. I've seen that on the History Channel, too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if anybody from his family survived the temple and Jerusalem being sacked. In the
3: 70s, didn't Joseph have other kids? I was thinking it was, and he had, didn't have more than one wife, too, right? That I don't know.
1: Yeah,
2: but hear me out, though. That's not a bloodline because Joseph's blood is not in Jesus.
3: It would track back to Joseph, but to actually track back, maybe to, did Mary not have any other kids? Well, I think that she did,
0: but in Catholicism, they'll say that she doesn't. But Jesus has. James as a half-brother, I was assuming that that was her son. I mean, I think there's other sons listed in the Gospels, and they're referred to as Jesus's half-brothers.
2: If Jesus was born of a virgin birth from Mary, Joseph is a stepdad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Suck on that, Catholicism.
0: <laughs> well, you guys want to jump into the episode? <laughs> I,
1: I don't know, Nathan. Maybe we should just keep talking about this. <laughs> Isn't
0: this is all very interesting. I have a picture of Jesus riding a Tyrannosaurus Rex on my computer somewhere. So,
1: <laughs> is he holding an American flag and has like no. an eagle flying over? <laughs> no, I, I
0: don't think he was concerned about that. <laughs>
2: okay yeah. let's jump into this episode i did look up what uh was it the cohort urban A? I looked up what that was i surprisingly it took me this long to actually look it up what is that? So, like, the... God, what's his actual name? Atticus? They're like a, a police that's not the Praetorian Guard, which the Praetorian Guard became or was the Emperor's personal bodyguards. So, the urban cohorte, or whatever you you say it, they were just, like, police that could travel.
3: Interesting. I kind of look at them as kind of like the Secret Service. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. They, they work just for the Emperor. So, we get this episode, I mean, we get to that part, that whole... I could see some disdain there with the regular military personnel, that group particularly. I mean, they have their own seal and everything. I mean, even the show, we kind of showed him there with his own seal. I like him. He's interesting. <laughs> He's apparently the only smart one. All right. So here is the
0: IMDb plot summary for the episode called Reckoning. After learning of Jesus's whereabouts, Quintus sends Gaius to arrest him. The disciples lose control as they argue about how to respond. While seeking information about where Jesus has been taken, Andrew and Philip encounter old friends. Okay, so at the beginning of this episode, we see a public notice being nailed up, and it says, Jesus of Nazareth sought for questioning now i think i caught someone taking this notice down and it was atticus right did he rip that down yeah why would he take that down because he takes it to quintus did he not want anybody to see that or i think he was just trying to like make a point yeah you're probably right because there's probably more hanging around somewhere else right
2: oh yeah yeah because remember he, yeah he walks into the front door or whatever and the dude's like you want to speak to quintus okay and he like about everyone this. does yeah yeah exactly <laughs>
0: Yeah. At first, I thought for some reason, maybe he was taking them down. Like, I'm going to handle this instead of Quintus's soldiers or something. But maybe I read that wrong because it
3: didn't show him taking down more than one notice. No, nah, they weren't going to let him in. And he pulled up his shirt, so it was a special little badge. Like, oh, crap. We're really him yeah. In. <laughs> yeah, that's how we knew that he was big stuff, right? Yeah. They're like, oh, sorry. i get him right now. I'm get Quintus, he's not doing anything. <laughs>
0: He must be, like you said, Secret Service or equivalent. I thought it was interesting that he says, We never retire. So I thought, okay, they must be specialists, basically. People have to seek them out for their detective
3: skills. I, I didn't get why he said they go to Ga- Gaul to retire because it's, that's a hell zone. They're fighting up there. <laughs> I mean, that's where the barbarians and stuff are at. And so I'm like, Yeah.
0: Maybe it had something to do with loyalty to Rome. Maybe so. Yeah. Or like, you're supposed to want to protect your country and never stop or something. (laughs)
3: Actually, that's a good point, because Quintus talks about how kind of easy he has it there and all that, so he's, yeah, I guess a good point. So he's like the opposite of Atticus then, because
0: Atticus is getting his hands dirty and Quintus is sitting in this room eating grapes. So in the next scene, we see Jesus' followers having a stone-throwing contest. And there's kind of some tension here. But I was wondering, is there a purpose to this scene, the stone-throwing? Or is this just here for them to have this argument over? Is there significance to the game or the contest that they're having? I think it's just a
1: vessel to drive the conversation. I didn't really see much there that was deeper than... (laughs) How we get from point a to point b in the storyline
2: so sons of thunder are stronger than the other two surprise surprise
3: <laughs> i kind of think the scene was kind of setting up that they do things on their own they don't always listen to jesus he said y'all before go fishing but they decided hey let's have a competition to see who's gonna fish and so you already see they're already or not acting just 100 obedient to 100 you know jesus says jump you say how high you're already doing things on their own and then you also see when you get to the boat there and Simon and Andrew in the boat they're bickering over stuff I mean it's kind of the same thing I mean there's disagreements there but when you look Jesus kind of later on gets on to him about he does want them to be a little more independent he doesn't want them just to totally just you know start thinking for yourself start doing things so I kind of looked at it was kind of leading it that direction because I think sometimes people just think that the apostles are just they're all on the same page all the time doing the same thing and that they don't have any minds of their own but I think sometimes these scenes or in this case here I mean, you don't know what they're talking about, but this is Dallas Jenkins saying, they're not on the same page. They do have some disagreements. They do think for themselves. They do bicker. They have different ideas to getting things done.
0: Yeah, I think it is inevitable that they would have quite a few arguments because you've got a zealot who hates the government and then you've got government employees on that team. I mean, they're complete opposites. They're natural Mm -hmm. enemies. So of course they're going to fight, but I guess we don't think about that much. There is a scripture that this reminded me of. It's the one where they arguing about which of them is the greatest. And then Jesus asks them, what are you guys talking about? (laughs) So this isn't that exact scene. And I can't imagine that they wouldn't do that scene later. So maybe this is just kind of a shadow of that scene and a hint of maybe what they're going to address later. You think it's interesting that Andrew is kind of losing his mind here and having a meltdown? Yeah, straight up panic attack. He's almost switched places with simon
2: simon 100 yeah mm-hmm. i mean simon even says that at one point what he says it's it's am i the one that now has to remind you that he's the messiah
0: so it's simon here he's really calm and collected did you find that to be a sudden development or do you think they set that up throughout this series
1: it seemed like a pretty consistent progression over the past few episodes where he's kind of just like bought all in and especially the last episode when they had left the synagogue on the Sabbath and you know he was eating out of the field and it was just like no nope, you're good Jesus told you you're good and he's he's buying more into that concept of okay I just need to do what I'm told here and trust in it and I, I really have to do the trust part.
3: If you look at that scene, Andrew kind of got on to Simon for that. He's like, why did you get that grain out of there? You know about it. You put Jesus in this bad circumstance. And he almost like has to cover for you in that way. So I do agree with John. I think Simon's kind of matured or mellowed out. He's kind of just listening to Jesus and everything will be all right.
0: Yeah, I like Andrew, but he was really having a cow here.
2: The whole episode.
0: Yeah, it just never stops. I thought that was interesting. So I thought, are they going to cycle through everybody's meltdown? Everybody in the group.
2: Andrews was exhausting.
3: I didn't catch what Simon said to him when he seen the Romans on the shore and Simon was looking the other way I what did he say to him? He, he said, "I'm, I'm going to ask you to take a deep breath." I thought
2: they were going to like jump in the water or something.
3: Yeah,
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. I did too. <laughs> but, but like, he told them to take a deep breath, and they never—I don't know—it never like—I I missed the point of it. Apparently,
1: I, I think he was just trying to tell him, like, "Hey, keep cool." <laughs>
2: yeah. Hey, yeah, cool. The cops are here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah cool. What's the officer problem?
0: <laughs> yeah. Simon's the one that has more direct experience
3: clashing with the romans so i guess it would make sense that he plays it cool there actually there's a part there that roman scene there where they have like eight guys it seems to me if you're going to be bopping around you, you know you bring at least 25 or so it seems like they would have brought a little bigger group than eight guys marching around out there in the countryside where you know half the people don't like you
2: yeah i know we're kind of jumping around a little bit but later on uh, what's your plan for going for getting there i'm just gonna march to the city like i own it with all eight of you yeah <laughs> <laughs> So do you think that was a
0: plot problem where they didn't think of that as writers, or do you think it's because of COVID?
2: I struggle to think that like it was a, a writing oversight. Maybe, maybe there's something with like the size of little Roman detachments. I don't know. I would have expected it to be a lot bigger.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's an interesting oversight, though, to have made. Yeah, yeah that, that COVID might have been a good thing. I might have been in. Yeah. Plus, they're probably thinking of people like us sitting, sitting here analyzing. I'm just, I don't think Romans are walking around the countryside with eight people. Instead of you know maybe a, a squad or a battalion or something out there.
2: What were their COVID restrictions? Only eight Romans together in one area at once. Well, at,
0: at this time, I think whoever would have been in that scene would have been in close quarters, so they probably would have had to quarantine for 10 days or whatever, because this is pre-vaccine when they're filming. So that's 14 days at that point. Oh yeah. yeah. Can they quarantine eight guys easily? Yeah, but can they find 20 people to quarantine themselves? I mean, it's expensive. Probably. The thing is, they could have reused somebody. For from one of these other scenes like the market, but then we might have recognized them. Maybe they just limited the number to the critical minimum or something. This season cost an extra $750 million so that they could follow the COVID protocols.
2: Wow. And so much of it
0: was shot outside. Yeah. I mean, they did really well with the restrictions that they had because I barely noticed anything. I need to rewatch this season with that in mind. Wow. You can't watch Matrix 4 without noticing. I'll tell you that. <laughs>
3: Wow. That's a good point because later on when they're in the market with the Egyptian girls talking about the crowd's not really that big. Yeah. So I didn't even think about the I didn't even think about the COVID stuff.
0: They're preaching
2: to like seven people or something. Yeah. It's that magical number. Eight. Interesting. Eight Romans or less. Did you also notice the Romans are all white dudes? What would they be? Well I'm I mean I'm not trying to get a racial thing here, but just from like an accuracy standpoint, Rome is at least homeland would be what is now Italy in that region, right? I would think back then the Roman Empire would be predominantly not pasty white people. I mean, I would think it would be more of a, a darker complexion, you know, more party looking type dudes, but with darker skin. Kind of like Simon the Zealot. I mean, he kind of looks Italian.
3: I would have thought. Yeah. These people were outside all the time, so they would actually probably would have had a little darker skin. Yeah. Yeah, they all needed to get a spray tan before filming.
2: They, they, they just used to, they had. I, these Roman soldiers aren't going to appear very often until they start killing Jesus, I'm sure.
0: Yeah. Well, in the next scene, Jesus is talking about his big sermon that he's preparing. I'm still theorizing that this is going to be the Sermon on the Mount, one of the big sermons in Matthew and Mark that's famous. And he says something like, what makes the sermon significant is each person who will be there. And he says, I will give them truth. So I'm wondering who this is going to be. Like, is this religious leaders? Is this just going to be the average people? I don't really know who is in attendance for that. What do you guys think? I haven't
2: seen the
3: guest list. Maybe we'll see it soon. There'll be some aliens there.
2: Yeah. So they're talking about this and they keep talking about preparing for it. How are they going to get these people to this sermon? Obviously, they're not going to hand out like, oh, invite, here you go. Word of
0: mouth. I mean, he's pretty famous at this point. If he went to a public place, I think at some point in the Gospels, he has to avoid large cities because everybody knows who he is. So they start kind of flocking to him. So he just stays on the outskirts of cities. That's kind of interesting because in this episode, he's camping outside the city where they're at right now. I don't know at what point he became so famous that if he went into Rome or Jerusalem, a crowd would just appear. But after season one, we might be close. So maybe he just strolls into a populated city.
1: I agree with you, Nathan, that I kind of get the impression and this is going to be the Sermon on the Mount. The one thing I thought that was kind of interesting with this scene in particular, was when Big James... Who was with Big James that came back? I can't remember. John? Was it John?
0: I always mix up John and Thaddeus.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was John. But when they came back, Matthew started running through the list of what everyone was in charge of. And Jesus, like, cut him off. It was like, they don't need to know all the details. I thought that was kind of interesting. Like, okay. (laughs) What? I don't think he was hiding anything. I think Matthew was just going to go into an absurd
2: amount of detail. Yeah, and it's like, yo, Doug, yeah, you, don't, agree. you don't need to knock the time. It's good leadership.
3: When he asked how things were going, he didn't need to have a whole list of what every single aspect of the jo- everybody's job was. He just wanted to know things were going all right.
2: And Matthew certainly had that written down.
3: Yeah, but, that, but that's Matthew though. He did that mean pretty much the whole time, right? <laughs> I thought of it like a
0: staff meeting. Have you ever been in a staff meeting where everybody's sharing stuff about their area and you're sitting there for an hour and it's not relevant to you? I kind of thought Jesus was addressing that kind of situation. Like, don't worry, they don't need to know that it's not relevant to them. Uh, Let's talk about
1: what's
2: relevant to all of you. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, they weren't supposed to be there.
1: That's kind of how I was viewing it was, okay, you guys aren't supposed to be here. You're supposed to be out fishing. You ignored that, you came back, and at first I in what you guys are saying makes sense now, but in the moment when I was watching it, I was just like, Oh, is Jesus like kind of holding back from them because they aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing right now? Oh, that's interesting.
2: Oh, cool, we're gonna get half the fish because you two idiots decided to stop fishing. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> oh, it's interesting that they would do that because they almost
3: starved in the last episode. Yeah.
2: And it's even stated in this episode that they look underfed. So,
3: Yeah. Yeah, when was it Gaius? When he comes up, he talks about them. Like, you'd think they'd be out looking for food, so just sitting around, not doing anything. You all look filthy and underfed. Thank you. he's yeah, like,
2: Matthew's used to eating well
3: yeah you notice his concern for matthew i thought that was kind of interesting yeah, it was almost yeah. like a jealous ex-girlfriend
2: <laughs>
0: ah,
3: that's a good, that's yeah. a what
1: do you have to offer him yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah and he didn't say it out loud he kind of whispered it to jesus yeah. so that way nobody else could hear <laughs>
0: Well, that's interesting because I wondered which way this guy is going to go. Is he going to still be concerned for Matthew or is he going to be like, well, this guy chose and he's an idiot now. So I'm going to turn into his enemy, you know, like, who knows? They
2: had a thing. They had a special connection.
0: Got a (laughs) bromance. Yeah. (laughs) We get to follow Shmuel and Yanni. They visit Yusuf and Shmuel and Yanni are Two Pharisees trying to get Jesus in trouble. They're trying to compile as much evidence against him as they can. It seems like they're trying to track places Jesus has been and find out if he's been healing people on the Sabbath, which we talked about last episode. Supposedly breaks Jewish law, but there was that pikash nefesh clause that said if it was to save a life, you can work on the Sabbath. So obviously there's a little bit of a debate there about how you're supposed to interpret that. We see dialogue between Shmuel and I believe it's Yusuf. They're looking for the Ethiopian woman and the paralyzed man that Jesus healed because they want their testimony to use against Jesus. But Yusuf says again, but a woman's testimony is worthless. And then there's like three or four pretty funny lines here where they're just kind of ragging on women because they say, I know he spends a lot of time with sinners, but... And Shmuel says, a woman giving testimony? That's blasphemy. So what do you think about these guys?
2: Is this the same part where somebody says, yeah, uh, she's got a testimony? He's like, but it's worthless.
0: Yeah. That,
1: that's, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. And
0: then he gets mad because it's, it's also blasphemy because a woman's not right. supposed to testify.
1: Well, I think it, it kind of goes back. If we think back to season one, too, there was... Uh, some interactions that we had discussed previously with Nicodemus and his wife, and like culture at that time, and I, I think it really kind of reinforces that conversation that we had back in season one—how these guys think and and what what that culture was like then. It was interesting. It was I wasn't expecting that from this scene at all.
2: So yeah, later on, they're, they're like, okay, they, they mentioned the woman's testimony. They're like, okay, that's worthless. Well, there's the guy he healed. They're like, Like, but you think he's going to turn on his healer? Yeah, that's a good point.
3: So I I think with this group here, Smeal, I I think he's kind of interesting because like kind of related to modern-day Christianity. You always have these extreme elements, and that – At the beginning just they don't care about some of this stuff and you can use example here they they don't care about jesus i mean the romans don't care the other pharisees really don't care who cares but this guy just keeps persisting 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 and we know from the story what's going to happen is this extreme element is actually going to win out eventually it's going to convince everybody else to kind of go along which i relate that to modern day christianity because you see in some aspects that's that's what's happening is this extreme minority elements are actually dictating sometimes what's what's going to happen this nonchalantness with everybody particularly in the scene about jesus is just like they don't care why do you keep pushing the issue but he's obsessed with this
0: that's a good point it's like he's got a justice complex but also his idea of justice is corrupted yeah i ask myself why does this guy even care <laughs> if nobody else cares why does he care
3: about this
2: maybe he's scared to change. i don't know
3: yeah i think he's got some arrogance about him i think he's just i mean that's again i think that's a a swag on religious people a little bit i mean i'm right you guys are all wrong if you guys don't agree with me then you're wrong too that's kind of his mentality is he trying to
0: build his own following because we did see him have kind of a face-off with nicodemus last season. And I wonder, is this about him being right or is this about him being known or both? Because he has aspirations to become a great teacher and that means having a large following, I think.
3: Do you think his agenda is just, uh, I mean, obviously there's a couple of little groups there that kind of have their own. You got Nicodemus in his group and it looks like there's maybe another other group, I guess, way of thinking. You think that he's just trying to get his own little sect or little element that's following him? I mean, you think he's just, his motivation is just pure not want to say self-righteousness, but just he wants to move up. Yeah. Yeah,
1: He's definitely got aspirations for promotion within the organization, but I don't get the impression that he's to a point where he's trying to obtain his own following right now. I think he's just trying to get to the next step, the next progression in that promotion structure and sees this as a way that he can pursue that and bring to light his value. I kind of think
0: and this is just a theory, that he might want to replace Nicodemus. And he sees this issue that he thinks Nicodemus is wrong about. He thinks Nicodemus is basically polluting Scripture, and he wants to take a position like Nicodemus's. I mean, he's older. Nicodemus is going to retire at some point. I almost think he wants to correct the wrong that he sees Nicodemus
3: creating. That's, that's a valid point.
2: Yeah, I, I struggle when we start talking about mixing religion with like trying to climb a uh, like an employer ladder it's like the pharisee I feel like you completely missed the mark. I realize this is their occupation, and like everyone wants to better themselves, but like if you're trying to upstage Nicodemus and take his spot, you're missing the mark on what it is you're doing.
3: Yeah, I think you're totally right. But I think in the flip side there, that's another one. I maybe think sometimes that all the Pharisees all thought the same, but there's different schools of thought there. I mean, you already see here that even last season, there's different schools of thought. But I think, is that like a pure human emotion or human desire? I want to move up. If you look at its politics within the system, I mean, we can see that even with the Catholic Church today, I mean, you got priests stuff jockeying for power to kind of move up within your local churches everybody wants to be the head minister or whatever i mean so you still got this purely human emotions and desires and stuff kind of taking over when it should be for the common good
2: that's exactly what i was thinking about i have no idea how you keep the task at hand pure like of pure intentions but at the same time you satisfy the human desire to progress up the corporate chain or you know what i'm trying to say yeah. up the ladder. I, yeah yeah I think inherently you're going to start missing the mark.
3: <laughs> it's not any different. I mean, moving up the corporate chain, they're not doing anything different within church structure. I mean, they're trying to be in charge, move up.
2: It's not personal. It's business.
0: Well, that's what's so interesting about people, I think, because I don't think people necessarily realize when they start to get off track. If you think about dating, sometimes when you're starting to date somebody, they might be a terrible match for you, but you don't know because your emotions are running wild. So you think you're making a good decision, but you're not. And I think the exact same thing happens in other situations like you get consumed by wanting to buy stuff my weakness is buying guitars But the same thing could play into you know being in church leadership. So I don't know what you do to make sure you're thinking clear or not. But Shmuel here is clearly off track. He wants to bend all these rules and is really like a manhunt to try to hurt somebody. Ever a good thing? Something God wants?
2: I mean, it's worse than that. It's a witch hunt. Yeah. But I like that the the Wadi Kel guys reappear.
0: Yes. Yes. I thought that was really funny. And so now we've got all the people that we don't like teaming up. It's like the Sinister Six.
2: We're from Wadi Coat.
0: Where? (laughs) Very small small place, no one cares about. (laughs) Atticus and Gaius are heading to where Jesus is camping, which is south of the city. And they say something really ironic here. There's a dropped line about this city being someplace you don't want to go to. Atticus says it's a protest city. But he also says it's a place that's crawling with Pharisees and Sadducees. So the religious city, with all the religious people, that's the protest city? Is that supposed to mean something? Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that there may be some links there. I took it more as what the, the praetor in charge of that city did not have the type of control that Quintus did over Capernaum. Whoever was in charge of this location was just outnumbered, underpowered, maybe didn't have funding, couldn't keep the people in check as well, at least in terms of what the Romans wanted. And then having two different sects there that had, you know, established... populations probably added to that to some degree but I, I don't know i i didn't really think too deeply on this
3: i kind of took the same view that john did i mean it's obvious i mean that the, that the jewish population the religious leaders do not like the romans being there i kind of took like john did just the prefect not region just was doing a bad job he didn't have a stump quite on him like quinnis does on his group yeah that's good you might be right so keep my theory
0: there in the back of your mind because it might come back in like five minutes but i think what you guys said is totally valid. So we see Andrew and Simon on the boat here. They're having their argument. And I think it's interesting that Simon says, so you think he's working on secret military plans every time he's gone praying? <laughs> and Andrew goes, well, he never comes back with anything. <laughs> so they're still hung up on this idea that Jesus is going to lead a rebellion.
2: Andrew outright says at one point that, uh, you know, well, there might be a war coming. It's There's something along those lines, right? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, General Jesus, I'm down. That'd be cool.
3: Isn't that a big part of the scripture, at least in the Jewish perspective? I mean, the way I read it, it's it's tailored towards dealing with the Romans. I mean, you got scriptures like giving to Caesars what is his. I mean, like I said, they're being occupied. So a lot of their, their thinking is to get these Romans out. I mean, there's, to me, I could see early Jewish population thinking, you know, the Messiah's coming. He's going to just up ass and push the Romans out.
1: They're, they're anticipating a warrior. Yeah, like a war
3: leader.
0: Yeah, I think they think they're supposed to become independent, become a theocracy, but I think Jesus has different ideas.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think there's, the population is kind of stuck between the Roman Empire. And, of course, you got Herod there. He's supposed to be king of the Jews. But, I mean, he's kind of got this allegiance. I wouldn't say allegiance, but this at least agreement with the Romans. You don't mess with me, I don't mess with you type stuff. So you got the average Jewish population is kind of stuck in between the, the two of them there.
0: See, I kind of think that's symbolic of what's going on now. You know, there's kind of an idea that our, our state and our, our schools need to be teaching prayer in the Bible when we're actually only like, I don't know what percentage we are Christian, but we're a melting pot nation at this point. There are certain groups that kind of push for what to me looks like a theocracy. And it seems almost like the same kind of situation that they're in. And it just strikes me that that kind of thinking has not gone away after 2000 years.
3: That's one of my pet peeves. Anytime something bad happens in school, a shooting, well, that's because they kick Jesus out. You need more Jesus. I'm like, what? What the hell does that mean? Shoving religion down people's throat? I bought to teach people that everybody's the same. Teach some kindness, doing to others, you want others doing to you stuff. My
2: interests now are a little bit different, I think, than they were when I was in high school. But let's assume how I am now. If I were in high school, if they offered like a class on Judaism, or a class on Islam, or or even a class on Christianity, I I think any of those three nowadays for me would be curious to take, just to learn. But could you imagine if a school taught Islam, or a Judaism maybe?
3: they go ballistic if they taught Islam. Yeah. (laughs) Who would teach the class? I mean, that becomes another problem there. Would it be somebody who's an expert on world religions or would it be an actual imam or something from the Muslim faith or a rabbi? Mm-hmm. And I think there's some inherent arrogance when it comes to some of these diehard religious people. They feel they're right. Everybody else is wrong. That's pretty much their view when they teach that stuff. They're not really opening for questions or any kind of dissent. This is what it is. It's interesting. This is truth. I don't want to have a discussion whether it's true or not because it is true.
2: I'm not religious and I am always right. Maybe I am religious. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so my comments to our Christian listeners, because I'm coming from the Christian perspective, but my thinking has also changed from, when you know, when I was younger, I heard all this stuff about, oh no, they're taking prayer out of schools. And I always thought, oh, that's a bad thing. And then my dad actually kind of brought the counter view. He's a Christian too. And he told me, well, you can't exactly force this on all these people from different backgrounds or, or you bring in this perspective, but they are Islam or, or Jewish or something else, you're not actually letting them pray the way that they pray. That kind of creates a conundrum. So if we're not a theocracy, I kind of think forcing those things is not necessarily the best way to go about it. But what I think is relevant here in the show is I think they're showing that. I think Jesus is showing like a different way, because I do think Jesus is the ultimate example of Kindness, great to study Jesus, right? But I don't think he'd go take over and do this top down forcing of religion. I think it's more an invitation to people. And if they want to change or they want to join him or whatever, they've got that choice, right? Mm. That's kind of the theme I'm seeing in the show. So then. This leads into the next scene. We see the Romans approaching to arrest Jesus. My first question to you guys, I can't find anywhere that Jesus was arrested before the crucifixion. Now, there were lots of religious leaders who asked him questions in public, so, it's not exactly out of the question that he didn't get arrested and questioned before, but there's no record of it that I can find. So, is it reasonable that something like this happened?
3: Well, didn't he say that he wasn't arrested? He was just questioned? So, it's already kind of a debate on whether he was arrested or not. He was detained. <laughs> detained. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, detained. Simon's like, okay, you guys are using words now. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's possible. I mean, I mean, for, for Quintus, I mean, if you see these leaders, religious leaders, up And we know from Roman history that there was all kinds of religious leaders popping up. So, I mean, would he have questioned him to see what was going on, to see if he was a threat to the Roman Empire? I, that's possible. I, yeah, I think it's reasonable. And I
1: think this kind of plays back into, not to go back too far, but when Atticus and Gaius were walking together and talking about how they were going to take Jesus, Atticus said, uh, he doesn't strike me as threatening or scary, and that scares me. I don't know. At this point, I kind of given up on (laughs) trying to figure out what's accurate and what's not and just enjoy the show. Uh, It made for a good story. So... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I am still
0: trying to figure out what did Atticus mean by that? And I can't exactly figure out what it is about Jesus that does scare him.
2: It's the impact that he has. It's the following that he's got. And he's not a a big warrior. He's not talking about overthrow Rome or or anything like that. He's just spreading this pure message of love one another, follow my path. and. You know, you'll get into heaven, and Atticus is like, "Yeah, something doesn't seem right here," and he's, he's not scary. So some something, I don't have a good feeling about this.
1: Well, he's seen him what can perform a few miracles now, and also take a zealot, and I, I think he they mentioned this. He he had a zealot throw his sword away, so he he knows that he's persuasive and cunning and I could see that being threatening in the right circumstances if you have somebody that's extremely intelligent and be able to pull the strings behind the curtain and make other people do things from an organizational standpoint that could be very intimidating
3: I tend to agree and I think cause the romans are used to getting people to do things just based on just their the power of the sword we're going to push you to do this where you have Jesus is actually getting these people to I mean like you said you he a zealot this is a person who trained his whole life just through a sword down and give us allegiance to Jesus. So if you're a military leader like Atticus, yeah, Jesus is not threatening right now. He's not really doing anything that's really aggressive, but what happens if he gets a couple thousand followers or 10,000 followers and they're that loyal to him, that they're giving away their own lives and giving away their own things that they committed to, and he decides that he wants to be militaristic. These are loyal people that he has that's going to follow him without even question, and they're going to have a problem, because then they can't intimidate him. They're just going to fight to the end. I mean, so if you're Roman like Atticus, I guess that might be what he's kind of thinking here is it's just not a problem now, but this could be a problem. Later on,
0: I think you're right because I mean, if somebody had that kind of loyalty, oh, what if he's making people into a suicide bomber or something like that? I mean, I know they didn't have that back then, but there could be some kind of equivalent.
3: We actually did have suicide people back then. What'd they do? If you look at the first acts of terrorism, was actually Jewish population. They would jump in the crowds of Romans and they would stab them. They would obviously sacrifice themselves. They would get killed, but they would take a couple of Romans with them. Wow. And that kind of falls into like that Zealot group a little bit.
0: Okay, so that explains. Maybe Atticus's mindset at this point.
3: If you can't bribe them, you can't fear them. The only thing you have to do is kill them. And if there's enough of them, they're that fanatical. Yeah. That's a problem for you. Okay, so now we get to the crux of my theory about
0: this episode. You know, last episode, we had all this theological stuff to dive into that was straight out of Scripture. But this episode, the whole time I'm looking for something. And there's nothing really here. There's no obvious story. So it started to make me think. This episode is basically historical fiction. So why is it here? I have a theory about the purpose of this episode, but I wonder if you know, if you saw anything.
3: He's given a lot of messages out at this time frame about he's not going to be there forever. Mm. That's kind of a theme. I mean, you prepare yourself. You guys have to do this stuff on your own. What, what are you going to do when I'm not here? That's kind of the theme I kind of got out of that. He was a little bit more clear on that. I mean, even when he was talking to the Gaius, I mean, he's already not making promises that he wasn't going to stir any stuff up or anything. He knows the ends closer, and he's getting everybody prepared for it. He's making sure that they're prepared to know what's it's, it's coming at
2: some point someone's got to pick up on that right like you keep saying i'm gonna be here but you're not what do you know that i don't someone's gotta ask him that question do you
0: think that perpetuated the idea that he was gonna pick up a sword? Do you think his followers heard him say that and thought that meant he was gonna become a warrior and he was gonna get killed?
2: At this point in the story, no way. They've already established we're, we're, what, a season and a half into this, but in actuality, I don't know with that how much time has passed, but they know Jesus isn't a warrior, so they know he's not gonna grab a sword and shield and go to town.
3: He never even carries a knife hardly ever. Yeah,
2: the only dude with a real knife he may throw away.
3: So to me, why don't they ask, I mean, it, it seems to me if he's, made it quite clear he's not going to be there forever. I mean, he said it for three or four or five times in the scene to pretty much everybody. Why don't they question it? Like, where are you going? What's going to happen? It seems like somebody would say something. Then also they're kind of starting to become more of the, the disciples that we know them to be because they're asking for extra teachings.
0: Back in episode one or two, when Jesus says he's not going to be there forever to Simon Peter... He just kind of looks bewildered and freezes. He doesn't say anything. Somebody's got to ask him what that means at some point. All right, I'll spoil my theory. Are you ready? Let's say yeah. What's your theory? I'm yeah. Ready. Since this entire episode is just fiction, I looked at the content. I looked at they go into this protest city that's occupied by religious people, and then. I looked at what Jesus does once he's arrested and that conversation on the boat with Simon and Andrew about whether or not Jesus has drawn up military plans. I think they put this episode here because the show keeps addressing modern day problems with Christianity, right? I think that's something Mm -hmm. they've been doing. I think they're addressing concerns about people saying that we're headed towards civil war and that some of the religious people are perpetuating the tension. And I've actually heard over the past five, six years, I think it was like 2016, 2017, was the first time I heard somebody at a previous church say that we were headed towards civil war. And a couple people there told me that, but actually wanted it to happen and wanted to participate. That kind of freaked me out a little bit, but it also shocked me. So then over the past year or so, after this election, and before, I heard a lot of comments about this again. we had a guy come to Brewery Church and say that he believed we were going to have civil war by June of 2021. Then I heard other people say that they had heard from God that we were going to have a civil war by 2021. Other people I talked to actually wanted this to happen because they thought that was what's going to get the country back on track, right? So that concerned me. So just so everyone knows, like, I don't think civil war is a good idea at all. And I think we really ought to avoid that at all costs. Well, about the time that that stuff was starting to stir up would have been the time that this episode was probably written and filmed. And then the release date is June 30th. 2021. So, I wonder if they're using this episode to speak to the religious people who think that we need to have a revolution, a political revolution, and they're trying to tell them hey, look how Jesus handles a similar situation. He lets himself get arrested, he tells his disciples to put their weapons down, he goes in there. He lets Quintus threaten him, and he walks out. Everything he does in this episode is completely peaceful. So I don't know if it's just me. What do you guys think? Do you think there's anything to it, or do you think I'm connecting things that don't really connect?
3: He doesn't just walk out and he talks to Quintus. He tells him it was an honor to meet you.
0: Yes. A privilege. Privilege, it was a yeah. privilege, yeah. Which is the opposite of what most people would probably do after that conversation.
3: You know, I think that's interesting. I mean I think that it does address that and we talk about a lot of people, you know, want to have this civil war, this whole Christian identity or Christian nationalism type stuff. I mean not to get dive in too deep. I mean pretty much every white supremacist group or you no know, anarchist group has strong ties to Christianity. I mean, the Ku Klux Klan, the Oath Keepers. I mean, you can you go all the way back. I mean, these are religious people. I mean, they're using religious symbols, and so I kind of see where you're going with that. I mean, it's kind of like you've kind of taken religion a different road than what was actually intended to be, kind of for your own purposes, I guess.
2: I think you get a gold star for connecting those dots. That's that's <laughs> some that's some serious sleuth work. It's a good question. It's a good observation. I, I, who knows? You you could be absolutely right. But I do want to I want to point out an actual interaction from the show where they're talking to Simon the Zealot. And they're like, you're taking literal phrases and trying to find secrets and hidden messages and literal phrases. I'm wondering if that's where you're at on this one.
3: Yes. And, oh, I forgot about that because... Yeah, he did. Yeah. And then they were trying to get him, the Zealot, because they want to go get Jesus. And he's like... You're trained in this. And he's like, designed something. He said something to that effect.
2: Yeah, they wanted to break him
3: out of prison.
2: Yeah, could have been a great episode. I mean, if we're going historical fiction, come on. That would have been a really cool episode. Yeah, so exactly what they were debating was,
0: Jesus says, I'll be back. And they're like, oh, well, maybe, I think Simon the Zealot says, maybe we're supposed to bring about his return by breaking Jesus out of prison. And that's when Nathaniel says, you just interpreted plain speech as insurrection. Now, I connected again with the whole crowd that thinks that we need to take over the government by force and have this political revolution and all this stuff. A lot of them are really into these political interpretations of the book of Revelation. And I thought that statement in the show was a commentary about that. You see, that all goes back into that whole religious politics theme.
3: You know, it's interesting because even with the Pharisees, they keep throwing that word blasphemy around anytime. There's something that they disagree with. So he even falls back to them a little bit too. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I want to point out most Christians I know, and most people at my church would be horrified if there was a civil war, but I think we all know people on the extremes and that's kind of the
2: concern here. I mean, that's shown with the group, that the group of disciples, right? There's hidden meanings. No, the, the, he, he says, what he says is true. Just listen to it. And then there's kind of the ones that in between. The best part is the end of the episode. Jesus is like, I told you I'd be back. Yeah. Don't, don't you guys listen?
1: Yeah. Jeez. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
0: Let's jump up to this Quintus Jesus conversation. So Atticus takes... Jesus to Quintus, and they finally get to sit down and have a conversation. What would you think of this?
1: This is the most entertaining scene that I think has been in the entire series so far. I loved the back and forth and the banter that they had. Again, the dynamic between the two personalities. I thought the dialogue was great. It was a very entertaining situation to watch portrayed.
3: You guys ever seen Star Trek The Next Generation with Picard? No. Mm -hmm. Doesn't Quidditch act like Q? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Just kind of like like, what? The psychopathic, sociopathic prankster type that... uh, Wants to joke around, but at the same time could just like end you like that.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, act, acting like you're you're dumb when you're really not dumb. You're really yeah. highly intelligent, and so. <laughs> I love Quintus is like,
2: please don't make me kill you. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to make you do anything, but my father might. And he's like, well, let's end on a high note. <laughs>
3: He goes, I I, I like you. He goes, I like you. Please don't make me.
2: (laughs) That's the thing.
0: Jesus was both respectful but said, I cannot promise to do any of these things you ask. Quintus wanted him to stop recruiting from his talent pool, stop with the large crowds, and not have any more blockades like what happened in the first episode. I think somebody was trying to travel somewhere from Rome, and they got held up because there were so many people around, so they were upset. And Jesus just says, I cannot promise any of these things, which is true. Quintus then said, don't make me kill you. But then they kind of went back and forth and Quintus didn't push. I mean, you would have thought Quintus would have gotten ticked off and done some kind of show of force, but he doesn't. So it kind of made me wonder if in the back of Quintus's mind, he's a little bit afraid of Jesus
2: just could have ended it off. He could have single-handedly taken care of Christianity right there.
3: He makes a comment, though. I mean, when Atticus asks him, he goes, do you see him as a threat? And he goes, if I see him as a threat, he wouldn't be walking out. And he goes, it's good to give the people something to do. So in my mind, I'm thinking, if they're focused on something else, they ain't focused on terrorizing the Romans. or So it's kind of like, if I could restrain this guy, if I could control him a little bit, he keeps the people occupied. But I don't want him to get too out of line.
0: Oh, that's true. If he's peaceful and people are enjoying him, then they'll forget about revolution.
2: Yeah. Keep your eye on the ball over here. Meanwhile, everything else, yep. Yeah. Dude, Atticus, I mean, again, my favorite guy. He he just like, okay, so nothing about that conversation bothered you. Okay. Just going to
3: walk on out. <laughs> But then you also, you already established that dynamic with Quintus and Atticus. They're already trying to outdo each other. I don't 100% know. Quintus ain't going to tell exactly what he thinks in front of Atticus. I mean, he's trying to put on this persona at that time frame. I mean, because he was more or less smart-mouthed Atticus. I mean, he was talking trash to him. I like to see that debate between both of them because they are
0: total opposites. And I'd love to see Quintus again because, you know, we haven't seen him for a few episodes, I don't believe. So I was excited to see him, but to see the two of them. And Quintus and Atticus dialogue about something they disagree on.
3: They're from totally different planets, so I thought it was hilarious. And what was that? That fish metaphor. That was. <laughs> That was, what the heck? I'm like, serious? And again, it goes back. We've already established Quintus is really concerned about his career. So again, more or less to Jesus, don't make me look bad. Because if I look bad, bad stuff's going to happen.
2: The best part is Quintus even recognizes that that stupid fish metaphor went too far. He's like, do you think it's running its course? Yeah. Do you think we're a little bit past that now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he breaks the fourth wall. Yeah yeah
0: Jeez. yeah so a side note there was a funny scene when the two priests from wadi kilt find shmuel and yanni they run up and <laughs> the wadi kilt priests say there were women among his followers and i'm like <laughs> man they just cannot quit pouring cold water on women here can they <laughs>
2: <laughs> I wanted to ask, was that frowned upon? I, I would. Why is that a bad thing? I
0: don't know. That's the first time I've heard that. In any suggestion that in that culture having women followers would be a bad thing.
2: I mean, you can downplay them, degrade them all you want, with reference to that point in time. Like that's you know that's how a lot of the people were and the laws were right. But like they're still at the core. You need them to reproduce. So like you can only hate them so much. Apparently. I, I don't understand these people, like, in this episode specifically. Like, just really beating that point home.
0: Maybe it's because... They perceive Jesus as trying to elevate them in status compared to how they were treated in Jewish culture.
2: I don't see him as elevating as much as, well, I just see him treating them as equal, which I guess is technically elevating them. That's not his mission or his goal. That's not his task. It's just, I want followers and I'm going to teach you this way. And it just happens that it also was bringing women up to even. That's my thought.
0: Well, that's interesting.
3: Do you think that's maybe, let's just face it, I mean, religion's not really. That great to women, particularly even now. I mean, you look at when hit man's head household, all that type of stuff. Do you think that's his way of shining light on that?
0: I think so because I've been studying some of the background on those scriptures about women and marriage and the head coverings and women can't speak in church. And the scholars are aware that there's a lot more to those scriptures. I'm starting to get the theory that women are not as looked down upon as maybe some traditions hold them to be. But the explanation of some of those scriptures makes a lot more sense than maybe what we usually hear. So I don't know if they're trying to get people to re-examine that or just say, hey, look, we've not been doing well in this area, so let's address it.
3: And you are already seen other cultures where women are treated equally, non-Christian cultures. I mean, you look at the Vikings. I mean, they're not Christian, but they treat their women equally. But thought the Spartans did too. Yeah, they did too as well. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Well, we see Jesus
0: return to the camp and he does not tell his disciples he's back. Before he goes away to pray, and they're pretty upset about that. Tell me your thoughts on this scene.
3: Let's talk about before we leave the Quintus thing. Okay. Then looked in the past where people almost fear Quintus when they first meet him. Obviously Atticus doesn't. Jesus doesn't either. Jesus sits there and talks to him like a regular man, and we know from the experience with Matthew he likes that stuff. So you think that may have had an impact on his liking Jesus? I do. It 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 almost seems like Quintus
1: really likes interesting people or people that can have a real conversation with him, whether or not it it almost feels like he plays with them in in some capacity. But I think as long as he's getting some sort of entertaining value out of it, he'll continue to keep a person around to an extent. So yeah, I I definitely agree with you on that.
0: So Jesus is like Quintus's form of movies.
1: (laughs)
3: Yeah. <laughs> I think that's good. I just, I just thought that whole interaction was interesting. I mean, Jesus even flatters him. He's like, oh. And like you said, it was a pleasure to meet. Him. He's like, wow. You know, He's like, it was just kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, I suppose Jesus probably wasn't what Quintus expected
3: either. He said that. He was expecting someone to be crazy with crazy hair.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he was expecting a bigger John. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't catch that on two watches. <laughs> But nope. he was probably expecting a military leader, too.
3: <laughs> or a crazy person. Or, or a guy in a bunch of religious garb. So he also makes a comment, too, about John. He's like, I can't believe John just walks into Herod's court like that. What, what was he thinking? You know, like, what was he?
0: Oh, yeah, I think he was. yeah. Yeah, he must have thought Jesus was going
2: to be like John the Baptist. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, they thought he was going to be like John. Not Purdy, but John the Baptist. <laughs> different it's hair okay. and different methods. <laughs> they look the same. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> What about this next scene? Yeah, Jesus was weird. Why Why would he not? Well, actually, you know what? Maybe it's a trust thing. In his mind, he left. He told them, I'll be back. Do what I told you to do. Keep going and move on. And he's going to trust that they did what he told them to do now. Whether he knows they did or did not, I don't know. But he clearly acted like he thought they were going to. You know, and he's like, I
3: told you I'll be back. Maybe Jesus, just after his experience there with the Romans, maybe he just needed some guidance. That's kind of how I took it, is he just needed a little, a little guidance. We prayed, kind of gathered his thoughts a little bit. I mean, should he have been back and told him, hey, I didn't get killed, I'm good. I'm going to go pray. I guess he was expecting them to also listen to him, because he said he was coming back. I mean, he hasn't lied to him yet, so why would they think he's lying now?
1: Well, he he also makes the comment, and I I think this may be reflective in terms of why he went to pray before seeing them, that prayer is the first step to right your heart and your mind. And after being detained or arrested or whatever you want to call it, transported in front of this Roman official, knowing that John is currently sitting in prison, I'm sure on some level there's uh, a bit of gratitude there for being able to navigate the situation and just wanting to reflect on that and center himself before he goes in and deals with who knows what from (laughs) all these people that have been acting kind of irrational since he's known them.
0: Yeah. If he does know that he's going to die, then if he gets arrested, then he probably knows that, okay, now I'm on their radar. This is one step closer to torture and death. And his cousin is in jail, about to die. So I would imagine that would be a fairly emotional situation. Would you want to center yourself before you go talk to your friends and followers? Probably, <laughs> I'd be probably feeling like a wreck.
2: But I would think this is like he knows this isn't the time. Like this is this is not the time. Obviously, this is, we've established this this event didn't happen. But at this point in time, he knows this isn't when I'm going to get put on the cross, you know, because we know from historical nonfiction that Jesus has that crying breakdown in that garden later on, right, where he's it starts really way on him. Yeah. Spoiler alert, right? So he knows this isn't where he's going to get killed,
1: right? In your mind, does it make it easier to deal with it? You know, you're taking steps closer and closer
3: towards this ending. It's like the start of the ending because I mean, he's he's going to go back and he's going to do exactly the stuff that Quintus told him not to do. He knows the end's not now, but he knows this is the start of the end. It's getting ready to be the start. He's on the radar now for the Romans. they Told him not to do some of the stuff that he's fixing to do. I mean, he said not to have any big masses. We were really talking to him. He's fixing to go do the, you know, the Summer on the Mound. I mean, he's planning for that. When Quintus told him not to do that stuff, it's to start to the end. I mean, he's got to be stressed out.
2: Well, that's what I was going to say. It, it, it comes down to whether or not Jesus has anxiety or not, right? Is he living for the now and he, he knows that this is when I'm going to die? I, I can see this two ways. This is when I'm going to die. So, like, even if you know, I'm taking the first steps. It doesn't matter because I'm not at this point. I'm only at these points or, you know, maybe, maybe he is starting to get stressed out. You know, at some point in time, we do know he starts to get stressed out, but as far as like, because this is the, again, fake first domino to fall does that really I, I don't know
3: to me it's almost like someone on death row i mean they know their their date of execution the closer you get to that date your anxiety and stress is just going to keep building and, building and building and building and building you know when you get to that okay i'm six months out the stress is even higher i'm two months out the stress is even higher Okay, here, I'm, I'm a week out. The stress is even higher. To me, that's what my mind's what Jesus is. The anxiety, it just keeps building because he's getting closer and closer to that date.
2: That's supposed to be how people on death row feel. Just
0: throwing that out there. <laughs> I mean, I'd be traumatized. By the time he actually goes to be crucified, I think the Last Supper, I can't remember exactly, but he's sweating blood, which as it turns out, is a real medical condition. So I can't wait to look that up when we get there. It's very rare.
2: Curious, are we going to get full Passion of the Christ? I'm, I'm, you know, apparently four seasons away from learning, but... (sighs)
3: You say four seasons away. It's long. He says he wants to have seven seasons. He, the guy, has got to get crucified here next season, because you're going to have some some stuff afterwards.
2: Well, see that. Okay, the the show is called The Chosen, right? So again, the show is less about Jesus, and, and this is this is my interpretation, feel free to correct me. The show is less about Jesus and more about his followers. If we divide all seven seasons into like thirds, I would think like at the end of the first third is the crucifixion, and the last two thirds are going to be talking about what happens to the disciples. Oh, no. I agree. I would
3: think it's like 50-50. So, so yeah, it's got to be soon. I think this crucifixion is coming third season. Episode one.
0: I thought the original plan I heard. Now, this is a long time ago. Season one. I thought the original rumor was the crucifixion wasn't until season six. (sighs) But you got to wonder if they can keep it up this long. And all of them have terrible deaths. You got to wonder if we're going to see all of those. I mean, John got boiled in hot oil and all kinds of messed up stuff.
3: Didn't want to get filleted much of stuff.
0: Yeah. I read the list of their deaths on World Encyclopedia a couple months ago, and my jaw just dropped. I mean, I knew two or three of them already, but man, it was bad. It was real bad. How does Mary get taken out? Mm, I don't know. She lives.
3: Does she just disappear through time?
0: (laughs) They let her go because she's a woman and they don't (laughs) like women.
3: Do they know what happened to her? I thought she just kind of disappeared.
0: Yeah, I think
3: that's what happened.
0: She wrote the Da Vinci Code? I gotta look up those Gnostic Gospels and see. Well, they're not all Gnostic. There's like 40-something other Gospels. I need to look them up and see if they're thought to be written by anybody relevant. I'd be curious. So in this episode, at the end here, I thought it was interesting that Jesus says, you're all gonna have to learn to do this regardless of what is happening, good or bad. Now, in this episode, that makes total sense. This is basically a statement on trying to teach them emotional growth, but it plays into that whole civil war thing too. Think about the political situation. I mean, he could be saying to us, hey, you're all going to have to learn how to do what I was originally trying to show you what to do, whether good or bad is going on. I thought that statement had relevance to people personally, but also to society as a whole right now. I don't know. We all probably get hung up on stuff going on in the news sometimes that's when he teaches his followers how to pray because they see him doing this when he gets stressed out. So then he teaches them. You guys have any comments on this
3: last scene? Most people start their prayer off that way. Yeah. Which is interesting. The, the big three religions started off that way too. It's acknowledgement oh, to God. Oh, the
0: same way as the Lord's Prayer here?
3: Yeah. Or by listing like their stressors? No, I was talking about how he just was kind of setting up how to pray.
1: I thought it was interesting that they threw this in, again, outlining kind of a template or a format on how to approach a prayer. Again, it, it was an interesting way to kind of loop everything together and uh, provide a lesson there for the disciples. Yeah, I forget about the Lord's prayer.
2: You, know, you hear it early and often, so I think it's cool that that's how that came about. And he like he like he like explains step by step what it is. I just thought all oh, that was pretty neat. Whether that's fact or fake. <sighs> Who knows. What do you mean by that? Well, because this whole episode, right? Historical fiction?
0: Well, I forgot that there is a scripture where he's teaching them how to say this prayer. So oh. this would be the one part that's true. I totally forgot about that since most of the episode was the other plot.
2: I you know, thought that was cool. And I'm surprised it took this long for them to be like, Jesus, when you go off and do your own thing, like, what are you praying? What are you doing? Teach us. Again, we don't know how much time has passed, really. Or maybe we do and I've missed it. But like, you're just now asking him What he's doing off there by himself, like teach me? I don't know.
0: I kind of like it a little bit because it shows that he waits until people are curious. He just doesn't barge into somebody's life and it's like, okay, here's how you need to do everything, and here's all these rules or whatever. He just models it, and then when they ask about it, he's like, oh, here's what I'm doing. Let me show you. I kind of like that approach as a teacher. Well, we do get one more scene. Matthew's in his tent. I thought this was hilarious. Like he busts into somebody's tent in the middle of the night and say okay help me organize my
2: sermon (laughs) i feel like this was an after the credits type scene when i was watching this is there some sort of religious importance to matthew's writings as opposed to everyone else he's like why is the time now and he's like because i said it is and then matthew also asks him he says um he says something like are things going to be better for all of us And he kind of just glosses, like, he says, I'm just going to make things better. He doesn't answer the question.
1: He says no promises. That's right. Matthew asks, will things become worse for us, your followers? And Jesus is like, oh, no promises. Yeah, I mean, does
2: he know what's going to happen to them? Because I threw three of the 12 disciples' deaths, and man, that's some interesting stuff. You know, I don't know the answer to that, but I do see and hear Matthew
0: said something about, will things get better or worse? Jesus says, I came to make things better, but then Matthew clarifies, but what about for those who love you? And then Jesus says the same thing he said to Quintus, no promises.
3: He does the exact same thing.
0: Yeah, they're going to start sensing that, oh no, maybe something (laughs) bad's going to happen to
2: us. we're all screwed.
0: Yeah, and I I always thought it was interesting that there's such a focus on Matthew's gospel, which is still one of the first ones, but Mark is more unanimously held to be written first, which is Peter's scribe, I guess, is thought to have been writing down his preaching. So I'm not sure why they show matthews first being written other than that peter doesn't have an assistant or a scribe at this point in the show so i do think that's interesting
2: what you're saying peter you're saying simon peter
0: yes simon fisherman simon okay
2: yeah they haven't changed their names yet so
0: yeah i'm sorry it took half a season for me to figure out that you didn't know i was referring to simon
3: I took out a reason why he went to Matthew that late at night is, you know, sometimes in the middle of the night, you have these thoughts and stuff. And so then you, you want to have those written down. You want to focus on it. Matthew's probably the best person for that. You know, write down what I said. Oh, okay. what I say? I, you said this. He's not distracted by anybody else. He's got someone repeating back to him what he's saying. So to me, I thought it was just a practicality. I actually forgot how Matthew died. I just Googled it a minute ago. The poor guy gets staked to the ground. Oof. I guess he questions the king of Ethiopia's morals. So it says he was staked and speared to the ground.
2: Simon Peter crucified upside down because he didn't feel himself worthy to be crucified the same way as Jesus?
3: Ouch. I'm not sure how he'd be crucified upside down. Just the, the mechanics of that.
2: I think they start talking about some of these people were crucified the X way, not the T way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah.
3: So they've actually got four nails i guess that way it's the practicality there
2: i want to say and check me on this that historically the romans did more crucifixion in the x-way than the t-way i've heard that i don't know if it's true or not
0: i think the other reason that they could be focusing on matthew writing the gospel matthew was written to the jews and all the people we're seeing him visit in the shows they're mostly jewish other than the woman at the well But they're mostly going to Jewish towns, so what Matthew is writing is written to them. Now Mark, when Mark writes Peter's preaching, that's written to Gentiles, people who are not Jewish. And we're not seeing a whole lot of them in the show, so I guess it makes sense. At this point, they'd be focusing on Matthew, but that's kind of random trivia. (laughs) So you guys got final thoughts? Do you recommend episode seven of The Chosen, season two?
1: Yeah, I thought it was entertaining. Again, one of the the best interactions of the entire series, in my opinion, between Quintus and and Jesus. Very entertaining. Again, setting the stage. You can tell stuff's about to go down. (laughs) Uh, excited to see the next one
2: yeah, from an entertainment standpoint this is probably one of the top episodes you know whether it's truth or not obviously we, we talked about that but definitely entertaining pit puts some of the the better characters against each other
3: and we get to see the interaction so i, I, I definitely liked it i would recommend this one it, it was okay the dialogue between jesus and quintus i think was probably the highlight of the whole of this one there but other than that man there wasn't anything amazing about it in my mind wasn't the
2: children in the field for you <laughs>
3: You like the last episode better? The last yeah, the last one's okay. I mean this one here, I mean I just didn't get a lot of Historical data on this one here. I mean, they were really pinning the truth a lot. It wasn't. You don't know half the stuff. I mean, it happened. Didn't happen. You don't know anything. I mean, at least with some of the other stuff, you knew this event happened. You just didn't know what was said or how it actually happened. You just knew it happened. And so this time, it's not really that case. Yeah, this
0: time I feel like there wasn't as much to dive into historically and in terms of theology. But I do think, even though this episode was mostly nonfiction, I do think their portrayal of Jesus is still spot on for who he would have been and his approach you know the non-militaristic approach non-political approach to spreading his message so i do think that was cool and i do think that What Jesus does here in this episode and the things he says can be a really good lesson, I guess, for Christians. And for non-Christians, it can show people kind of what I think he was about that sometimes gets missed within religion. So I overall liked this episode, and I am... Really looking forward to the next episode because it's the season finale. And I think this episode made me really curious. Okay, we just had this big showdown between Quintus and Jesus. Great scene. What are they going to do to top that for the season finale? And what kind of cliffhanger are they going to leave us on? I think it was a good episode. I recommend it. Like I said, it's a little harder if you're trying to study history, but I think the overall message is good. And whether or not I was just reading into it what I saw in it, I think there's good lessons to be had here. So, yeah. Are you guys looking forward to the last episode? Sure, why not? I'm going to watch it here in just a few minutes. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, listeners. If you have any comments about the last episode or you have any comments about this season or anything we've talked about on here, yeah, write us at facebook or instagram at brewery ministries or you can email us at brewery at gmail.com all right well we will see you in a few weeks for episode eight see ya bye thanks for listening to brewery ministries discussion podcast on the chosen if you enjoyed this podcast help spread the word by leaving a five-star review in the apple podcast store stitcher or your podcast store of choice
2: that's why they call me Wine Hands, because of what I do to your liver.
0: Contact us on the Brewery Ministries Facebook page, on Instagram at Brewery Ministries, or at breweryministries.org. Send us your questions and comments so we can talk about them on the podcast. It's not enough to say hello visit one of our spiritual discussion groups at a brewery or online. Visit breweryministries.org for a list of our discussion groups. You can also download our free discussion guides on spiritual themes in the Book of Mark, The Dark Knight Trilogy, or the Avengers movies at breweryministries.org. those who do the actual fishing are
2: unholy, foul mouthed given to gambling in secret dens, and even fishing on Shabbat.
0: The opinions shared in this podcast are the views of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Brewery Ministries, Incorporated.
2: Why must I perform? Must I perform for Quintus, then for the soldiers, then for for the slum dwellers. And this, what, what sort of performance is this?
0: All music and sound clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They're included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name.
3: You. Come on.